and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. We, we want to do something fun with this series. We're jumping into a series called We Are Better Together. And uh, I know that so many of you guys do life together, enjoy doing life together. And, and, and we really, truly believe we are better together. Some of y'all serve together. You, pl- you do worship together. Uh, you greet together. You just hang out in homes. You have life groups. I know we just kicked off life groups. And we want to encourage you guys over the next four weeks, when you're doing life with your church family, when you're doing life with the body, snap a pic, throw it up on socials, and use the hashtag DC better together. Okay. D- I already took a picture of Mandy Huff, uh, this morning. I'm going to put it up after service. Y'all better like it too. Come on. All right. So, so take some pics. We want to have some fun and then we're going to show a whole slideshow at the end of the series and, uh, just reflect on how life really is better together and just celebrate what God's doing in our community. Amen. Amen. As I look at the scriptures, as I read what Paul wrote, as I, as, as I look at, as I observe what Jesus said about unity, uh, I've come to the conclusion that God deeply cares about the unity of the body and he deeply cares about the unity of believers. And I think so much so, uh, it's probably worth taking about four weeks to talk about this whole topic of unity. You'll see it everywhere in the scriptures. So over the next couple of weeks, we just want to kind of pull apart what does it say? Turn some verses into string cheese and digest them. What, 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 is, what is it saying? Because here's the deal, our unity or our disunity, it's screaming a message to the culture that we're a part of every single day. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The unity of believers should be one of the most attractive and most productive qualities of the church. And we'll break this down over the next couple of weeks. But, but, but the, the scriptures teach us that people should see how unified we are and, and be able to physically observe that it's something divine. That, that God's love is in the midst of that body and that community. It also says they were united, so no one went without. Right When, when the body is connected, when we're unified, everybody's needs are met. So our unity in the body should be the most attractive thing about this body and the most productive quality about this body. So that being said, again, we thought it was worthwhile. I want to jump into John 17. But before I get to John 17, um, we see John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. These five chapters are what we would observe as Jesus's final discourse to his apostles, to his disciples. So in John 13, Jesus comes into the room. He says, I have, I've been given all authority on heaven and earth. And then what does he do next? Wash his feet. Cause that's what you do when you're the boss of everything. You wash everybody's feet, right? God love Jesus. Kingdom culture. The kingdom's different. Right. Amen. Come on. Let's stay on, let's stay on task. So 13, he washes feet. John, John 14, you know, he calls out Judas and Judas takes off running to go betray Jesus. And he's sitting here at the last supper. And while they sit, they have this incredibly deep theological conversation Jesus does. And in John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he says, no one gets to the father except through me. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, remain in me. And he sits there and he talks. This is the same place that Jesus says, it's actually better that I go. He's preparing the disciples and the apostles for his departure. And he's telling them, it's better that I go because if I do, the advocate will come. The helper will come. Did y'all love this is more? There is more? Sorry, our Holy Spirit series, one of my favorite series we've done as a church. So good. And uh, so so he's breaking this down. but, But at the end, John 17, as he's wrapping up this conversation, Jesus says a prayer. And he's talking to the Father 
about the disciples, but then his prayer overarches to all who would believe. And I just want to observe this morning specifically, this will really be our key scripture for the entire series. But, but again, just with this thought of unity in mind, let's see what Jesus prays for in some of his final moments with the people he was closest with on earth. Is that okay? Yeah. John 17, verse 13. Again, Jesus is, is talking to the Father. He's praying. He says, now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. Come on, how many know that sometimes it's good for us to walk through a little fire? Sometimes it's good for us to walk through a little trial. And some of us, maybe we're in some situations where our prayer has been, God, would you remove this from me? And he says, nope, I'm gonna keep you right there. And it's to, to, to develop some strength in you. I love how he doesn't pray that they would be removed, but he just says, give them what they need in the storm. That's a different message for a different time. Let's keep going. Verse 16, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Verse 19, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy. Are you glad Jesus died so we could be holy? Amen. On to verse 20, Jesus is still praying. It's a lengthy prayer, but it's a good one. He says this, I am praying not only for the disciples, not only for the guys at this table, but check this out, but also for all, say all, for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So Jesus isn't just praying for the guys at the table, but all who will believe. Anyone believe in the good news of Jesus Christ in the room this morning? So he's praying for us right here. Jesus has prayed for you. Somebody shout amen. amen. Come on, that's good news. Jesus has prayed for me. Wow. So Jesus, Jesus prays. And what does he pray? What in his final moments on earth, what, what does Jesus pray? I pray that they will all be one. Wow. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you've sent me. Our unity is testimony of our creator. Yeah. Got to grab a hold of this church. Let's keep going. Verse 22. I've given them glory you gave me so they may be as we are one. I in them and you are in me. And then he says this. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Our unity in the body should be the most attractive quality and the most productive characteristic of the church, and our unity is telling a story. Are we unified? Are we making every effort to be unified as a body? Our unity is telling a story. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into this thing. Jesus, we love you, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to communicate your word. And um, God, it's so important for me to, to shepherd well, and, and, and so I pray that this, this body would not just hear your word, but we would apply it to our life. Till the soil of our heart right now, prepare it to receive the seed of your word, the seed of your truth, and let it grow to produce fruit in our lives. We want to know you more. We don't just want to hear your word and not do it. We, we want to live this thing out. We, our, our word for the year is transform. We want to be transformed by it. So God, I pray that you would allow something divine to take place within us today where we walk out of this place um, a little bit more like Jesus, more than we ever have been. And I pray that this church would foster kids. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. amen. Today, I'd like to acknowledge uh, that my parents hit 35 years of marriage. Come on, that's a big deal. 
And it's been easy. It's been, no kissing in church. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Has it been easy? Has it been easy the whole time? It's been easy, isn't it? So easy. A breeze. A breeze. Come on. You guys would agree after 35 years of having to be unified, unity takes work, right? And so I think this is part of the reason Jesus prays for our unity, because he knew that in all people, not just marriage relationships and friendships and church relationships and all of it, he knew we were going to need divine intervention. Everybody shout amen. Come on. Because unity sounds good until we're confronted with the reality of what it takes to sustain and nurture unity in a group of people. How come? Because people have opinions. We all have opinions and we're all right and all our intentions are good and we're never wrong. And you know, it's hard. Unity is hard. There's been times in ministry. It's like, man, I got into ministry with the motive and intention. I just want to tell people about Jesus and do good things. And and like, so pure. And and even I find myself in, in sometimes rifts and disunity and frustrations and confrontations. And I'm like, this was never supposed to be what it looked like. Like, I just wanted to tell people about Jesus and do good things. But have I ever considered myself like what I thought was good maybe doesn't parallel with what somebody else thinks is good. And and as I observe Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I think Paul would agree with me or I guess he came first. So I'm agreeing with Paul that, you know, (laughs) I'm agreeing with Paul for sure. Yeah. Come on. Unity takes work. Come on, let's say that. Unity takes work. Unity takes work. But guess what? Our work, our effort is worship. Okay, so, so let's take off the pressure of this work to be saved and to be good enough for God. That's not it. But our, our work is just, it, it, it's worship. It's reflection of God. I want to serve you well, and I want to love you well, and I want to follow you well. So Paul says this to the church in Ephesians, and, and I think that there's a lot for us to glean out of it. So let's take a look. Ephesians 4 verse 1. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, because Paul's in chains. Um, he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. You've been called by God. And then he says this, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And then he says this, make every effort. Unity is going to take effort, okay? Unity is going to take work. It's going to take grind, but it's worth it. And a church that's unified is a church that's powerful and effective. Amen? So make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. I read this, and uh, Paul lays it out. If If we're going to be unified, then we need to be humble. We need to be gentle. We need to be patient, forgiving, gracious. All the things my wife is and I'm not, amen? Come on. You know, you start reading what we need for unity and it sounds like we need a little help from the Holy Spirit. That sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit, right? So praise God that he's given us a helper and he's given us an advocate, but we need to yield to the Spirit of God. And then Paul says, make every effort. This is our worship, make every effort. I wouldn't say Paul expected perfection out of believers, but he definitely exhorts believers, you have to make every effort. It's going to take work. You know, sometimes I think unity means someone brings something to you and it means standing in an awkward moment because you won't continue on the conversation because you know it's sin if you do. You know it's disunifying if you do. 
Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes unity takes effort, right? So I just want to break down a couple of things Paul says. If, if you're going to be unified, you need a couple of these characteristics to break out in your body. And the first one is to be humble. Humility. Everyone say humility. Humility, humility is so difficult. Why, why is it so? Di- this is what I think we do as the church. I think we, we hear that word humble or humility. And when we address, when we contemplate if someone's humble or not, we think, hmm, do they talk about themselves? Do they brag about themselves? We think if someone's humble, they don't brag about themselves. I think we broad stroke what that means and that's what it looks like. But I just want to go on a soapbox here for a minute and, and then I'll jump back into it because, because we, we put all this emphasis on humility and being humble. So if, if we celebrate ourselves, like we, we disqualify ourselves from celebrating ourselves, acknowledging any gifts we have, acknowledging any good we do, and that's unhealthy too. And I just want to talk to that. It's not humility to say, no, you know, I suck at that. I don't know how I got good at that, blah, 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 blah. That's not humility. That's you being stupid, okay? That's you being a liar. That, that's what that is. And, and I use the example of this. Say I win the Boston Marathon, okay? This is what humility is not, but this is what we think humility is. I win the Boston Marathon, which would never happen. And someone says, wow, you're a great runner. And I say, no, stop it. I'm not that good. And I, I don't even know how that happened. No, you're lying. You, 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 you had a strict diet. You woke up at 5 a.m. every day and you trained. You made every ever. You sacrificed a social life to make that happen. What humility looks like is, hey, I, I win the Boston Marathon. And they say, hey, you're a great runner. And I say, thank you. I've worked really hard to achieve what I've achieved. And I'm grateful God's given me the ability to compete. Amen. That's what humility looks like. So many of us, it's like, guys, we know how we know how important our thought life is as believers. So if we're walking around thinking humility is not being able to acknowledge our gift or acknowledge what God is doing in us or through us, the good things, then honestly, I think that's dangerous because our thought life, you know, before our behavior is ever behavior, it's belief. So what do we believe and what are we speaking over ourselves? Listen, if you're the best cook in the kitchen, just it's okay to acknowledge that you make the best hamburgers. Okay. <laughs> We're so paranoid of being arrogant and cocky. And listen, we need to be okay to say, you know what? God has done something in me. I'm going to use it for his glory. It's his grace. It's not my own doing. But nonetheless, he's bestowed it upon me. I'm going to use it for his glory. Amen. So I just want to talk a little bit about that difference. Um, So yes, really to be humble, what it it really is, you know, I I think it's so much deeper than do we just brag about ourselves or not. If you really want to check if you're humble in spirit, humble, humble in nature, Ask yourself some of these questions. Here you go. Do you receive correction gracefully and patiently? When someone tells you, hey, I think you can do that better. Hey, you did that wrong. Am I defensive? Thinking that I'm always right? And my, my way is the best? And I could never not do something. Do, do we receive correction gracefully and patiently? Another question. Do you honor authority in your life even when you believe your way is better? What, what about your finances? What, what is the story of your finances? Does your financial spending reflect you value yourself more than you value others? You know, I, I think to live humbly, to live with humility is so much deeper than, than just saying, I'm the best marathon runner there ever was and no one's going to do a better job than me. You know, to be humble is to consider the needs of others more, than, more often than I consider my own. But I also think sometimes we're terrified 
To, to, on the other side, sometimes we're terrified to not promote ourselves because we live in a culture that constantly screams at us, grind, get yours, go get yours. Do whatever you got to do, whatever it takes. And granted, our work is, our, work is, our effort is worship. I, I get that. But remember, we don't step on other people to get where we're going. God says, give and I'll get you yours. That, that's what it is, right? And we see this demonstrated in Christ. All these qualities we're talking about, we see displayed perfectly in the life of Jesus. This is, this is why I'm so grateful for Jesus, uh, among many other reasons, like taking my, all my sin. Um, <laughs> that's a good part too. Amen, Amen Pastor Josh. Amen. Amen. Come on. All right, here we go. Philippians 2. This is where we see Jesus demonstrate one of the greatest acts of humility that humanity has ever seen. Look at this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. The body, we have to remember when we get down to the nitty gritty and we want to cut back and, you know, slash each other and, and we want to be divisive. We got to remember, man, we, we all want the same thing. We want the same thing. We have the same goal. We're of one accord, one mind, one purpose. Amen. So then Paul goes on to write, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, right? Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. Sometimes that's like just coming to the lobby and instead of like, no one said hi to me in church today. I can't believe it. Why don't you go ask somebody how they're doing? Man, I didn't say that first service. I wish I did. Come on. <laughs> but check out, check out how we see this demonstrated in the life of Christ. Verse five. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. So this is an attitude Jesus lived with. This is something we see displayed perfectly in Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Okay, so Jesus had the, you know, the, the wild card, draw four. Okay, he had the, the, the end all, be all. This card always works, doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> and Jesus didn't play it. That's, that's what it's saying. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And then he died a criminal's death on a cross. This is our savior. This is the God of the universe. This is what he's done for us. Wow. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every other name. And, here, and here's what we have to come into agreement with. Uh, in fact, we see it in Luke, see it in a couple other places too. But the scriptures tell us when you exalt yourself and I'm at church for me. No, I said, no. when we exalt ourselves, and it's about you, God humbles you. But when you humble yourself, when you take the worst seat at the table, God exalts you. Right. And I would rather humble myself in my flesh than be divinely humbled by God. Is anybody with me? Come on. <laughs> Amen. Come on. We, we got some wisdom in the room shouting amen. Yeah. Come on. Let's just humble ourselves and, and just trust that, man, I can, I can give to others. I don't have to be the center of intention. I don't have to be the, the focus of the room. I don't, have to be, I don't have to be everything, not everything. I'm not entitled to everything I can give. I can count others as more significant than me, and God's going to get me. God's going to get me. One, we got to be humble. Two, we got to be gentle. Let's squash the myth that gentleness is, is only related to our physical action. Gentleness is an approach. Gentleness is a heart posture. Gentleness is an attitude. And I'd also like to submit that gentleness is not synonymous with weakness. In fact, I would say gentleness takes a whole lot, self, a whole lot more self-control and strength than 
Not being gentle. Amen. Like sometimes being gentle is hard. <laughs> yeah. Amen. So uh, y'all are grown, man. I, I don't need to explain what it means to be gentle, but if we're going to be unified as a church, we have to be gentle with each other. You know, the, the Bible says confess to one another and pray for one another that you would be healed. What that tells me is when we hide, we don't heal. So, so we need, we need, we need to be vulnerable as Christians. But if we create an atmosphere, if we create a culture that is not gentle in nature, people will not be vulnerable. Therefore, people will stay stuck. So if we want people to get free and live in the freedom that Jesus died to give us, part of, part of, part of receiving that and living in the fullness of that is, is being like, hey, I'm broken and I need prayer. Hey, I dropped the ball and I need prayer. Hey, I've fallen short of the glory of God and someone needs to pray with me. But if, but if we don't create an atmosphere where people can be vulnerable like that, then we're going to have a bunch of people walking around in strongholds and stuck. We got to be gentle. Say gentle. All right. One, we got to be humble. Two, we got to be gentle. Three, we got to be patient. Got to be patient. The hardest one. Matter of fact, I, I think this is because patience is so difficult. I think patience is so vital in our spiritual growth, more than we might ever imagine. But I think part of the reason patience is so important is also part of the reason why Paul, when he, when he lays out in 1 Corinthians 13 what love is, what does he say love, the first thing love is? Love is patient. 35 years of marriage, I said, takes patience. Amen? Come on. Yeah, yeah. More so on your side. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. Here we go. Stop it. Stop it. Babe. All right. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm going to use a different story instead. I'm in the car. You guys know, you know, we started a foster care journey about two years ago. And we have a 14 year old in our house for a little while, a little less than a year. And we're in the car and she had this thing with boyfriends. Always wanted boyfriends. And I've always kind of been protective in nature. I grew up with, you know, uh, three sisters, no brothers. And I just kind of felt like, you know, sometimes stepping in more specifically with my youngest sister, just that protector, like you don't mess with her. Like, honestly, sometimes I just wanted to kill people. You know, I just, I just did. And it's, Amen. Come on. And you know, now I, now I have this 14 year old in my room and I've been a 14 year old boy, you know, and I, and I know what 14 year old boys are like and, and older boys alike. And I'm just thinking like, no way you don't, you don't need anything to do with any of them. Okay. And and she'd talk about wanting a boyfriend and I would get so mad and so frustrated. Like, why? Why are you, oh, why is it always about the boys? What's the deal with the boys? Why, is it, why does it gotta be the boys, you know? And um, so even though I'm burning down in my belly and just kinda wanna, you know, I'm so frustrated with the behavior, I, I just decided in this moment, I just wanna approach this differently. We're in the car driving back from our friend's house and I was just patient, just, just, just push it down, push it down. And just decide to have a conversation. I'm like, okay, you know, you, a lot of times, you know, you keep bringing up how you want a boyfriend, you know, I'm just burning and I was like, just have the conversation, Mark. I said, talk to me about that. I said, what do you look for? Just start asking questions, just being patient. Start asking questions. What do you want in your boyfriend? Like, what are you looking for? So why, why do you think you want one so bad? Like, what do you, what do you think that is? And, I don't know, you know, and I'm just trying to ask the question, be patient in the moment. And we eventually got to the point where, you know, she answers the question is, I just want someone to love me no matter what. 
And it was like, here we are. How many times in life are we berating behavior and actions and decisions and think, how could you do that? Ah, this is, and it's like, but this is the issue, but we're not patient enough to figure out what's going on. If we're going to keep unity, y'all, I think we got to be patient with it. If we're going to love each other well, we got to be patient with each other. This is why James said, be slow to speak, right? Quick to hear, but, but slow to get angry and slow to speak. Listen, just, just sit there and just listen. Patience, patience, just hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, patience. Everyone say patience, patience, quick to hear. You know, if you're connected in a group of people of any sort, it's only a matter of time before conflict's gonna find, find its way into your group. That's, that's just part of being human. Teamwork is hard. It's beautiful, but it's hard. And, and here's what I've continued to discover that this, this one's free. Patience is always helpful. <laughs> like patience is always helpful. I got a call a few months back from a church member who was frustrated with another church member. And I think they were just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to address this. Um, you know, my, my advice, my, my counsel on the phone was like, hey, just be patient with your emotions. And they're like, oh man, that, that's a good word. I've never really thought about that. But like, I think sometimes we just need to, like maybe that's a word for us this morning. Of like, hey, just be patient with your emotions because our flesh is always in a hurry. Oh, they made me mad. I got to get them back, right? That, that's our flesh. Oh, you hurt my feelings. It's like, no, like that's not life in the spirit, you know? And maybe that sounds silly, but really that's what it is. Our flesh is always in a hurry. The spirit is patient. Think about spiritual words, growth, process, endurance. These are all things to, to see some of the best things that God has for us. It's going to require patience. Love is patient. And some of y'all just, y'all are just in too much of a hurry. And part of the reason there's division and we're disunified is because we just won't be patient with one another. So everyone just say patience. Let's just declare, I'm going to be patient. All right, three of you. Let's try it again. Here we go. Here we go. We're all going to say it together. Ready? One, two, three. I'm going to be patient. Glory. <laughs> Come on. We're not doing this for the whole message. So yeah. Unity. Unity takes patience. Unity takes patience. Um, and here's my last point for today is, is that ultimately this is, this is the heart of God. He cares so deeply about unity. And Jesus died to unite us, not divide us. You can write that down. Jesus died to unite us, not divide us. And he says this in Ephesians 2. Worship team, you can come because I'll read this and I'll be done. It says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. Jesus has brought us peace. Do you need peace this morning? He's brought it to you. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when his own, with his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Because we've talked about that in church, like the Samaritans and the Jews. You, you guys remember those sermons? Yeah, just the Gentiles and the Jews and how we don't associate with them and we don't touch them and they're unclean and they're nasty and blah, blah, blah. They're sinful. And, and, and Jesus came on a cross and he said, hey, no more of that. I, I'm trying to bring everybody together, Right. He says he did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating himself um, in one new people from the two groups. 
together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. So if the hostility is dead, why are we allowing it to still breathe some like it's dead? We need to be united in thought and purpose. We all love Jesus. We want others to love Jesus. And we got to remember that's the goal and that's the mission. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Here's God's will. One that we would be unified with him that he would reconcile humility to himself, but also that we would be reconciled to one another. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about unity. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.